Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. A look at the 32nd Psalm this morning. Psalm 32 is where we're going to get. So last week, we actually uh, took a look in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And last week, I shared just a little bit of what I want to share with you. I mean, the Lord began really stirring inside of me to share more of what we touched on last week. So last week, our question was, what is it that you're seeking? That's a question, as we said last week, it's something that every one of us have to reckon with. We have to answer, be able to answer that question. What is it that you are seeking? So as we began our, um, our message last week, we actually went back and took a look in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2 and in Genesis chapter 3, and we were looking at Adam and Eve's life. And we looked at the relationship that they had with God in the garden before sin in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, as sin entered the world, there was a change in Adam and Eve. But I want to go back several years ago, and I want to launch from a TV show that you may have watched um, at the end of the 70s and the early 80s. It was one of my favorite television shows, and maybe it was one of yours, because I wanted to be like Bo and Luke Duke. I wanted to have a General Lee, and I wanted to be able to just drive down the road and hit that horn, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and then launch my car, and no matter what happened to that car, they still were able to drive off into the sunset and win the day. I wanted to be Bo and Luke Duke. Now, where I grew up, uh, my, my grandfather was, was kind of like uh, Andy Griffith. Uh, that's who my grandpa was. And so while I wanted to be a little Bo and Luke Duke, I also wanted to be a little bit Roscoe P. Coltrane. Uh, and so I had this dilemma that was inside of me and this constant war raging. Do I want a General Lee or do I want a police car? And so I had all the little Hot Wheels, and I had a couple of the police cars, and I had a couple of General Lees, and so I would play with my Hot Wheels, and the best of both worlds came out, because I got to be both Bo and Luke Duke, and I also got to be Roscoe P. Coltrane. But do you remember, there was always a phrase that Roscoe P. Coltrane said, Do you remember what Roscoe always said? Whenever Bo and Luke would get in trouble, or whenever something was happening in Hazard County, there was this phrase that Roscoe P. Coltrane always whipped out. Do you remember? I've got it here on video for you. So I just want you to catch this this part here. Shame, shame. Shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. Do you remember that? Roscoe would always pull out that phrase, shame, 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 shame. Everybody knows your name. 
Here would come Bo and Luke Duke speeding down the dirt road, and Roscoe would jump in his car uh, with, his, with his hound, his basset hound, right next to him, and he would get to Bo and Luke, and he would, shame, 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 shame. Everybody knows your name. When we are in Genesis chapter 3, we discover that Adam and Eve, as we, as we talked about this last week, Adam and Eve were actually pulling out the shame, shame, shame. Everybody knows your name because the enemy was there and the enemy was luring them deeper and deeper into the shame. What we actually discover in 2021, and this has taken place all the way from Genesis chapter 3 to all the way today here in 2021, we are a people that are trapped in a, in a fleshly body that is riddled with sin. And the only, we don't stop there. The only way to overcome that sin and to step out of that sin is in relationship with Jesus Christ. However, a survey of Christians from Christianity Today in 2019 revealed that 29% of Christians say that shame is the largest struggle in their walk with Christ. Almost one-third of Christians, just two years ago, say that shame is the number one problem or number one issue in their relationship with Jesus Christ. If we were to, you don't have to turn there, but if we were to look at where Adam and Eve were at the end of Genesis chapter 2, this is the very last verse. It says to us that Adam and his wife, they felt no shame. And then we get into Genesis chapter 3, and, we're discover, and we discover that they are hiding. And last week we talked about it's the first game of hide-and-seek. And they are hiding from God because they are trapped in their shame. I want you to hear me this morning, Whitechapel Church. One of the number one ploys of the enemy is that he believes that if he can trap you in your shame, he can rob you of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the truth. If one-third of Christians are crippled, almost paralyzed in their relationship with Jesus Christ in shame, and if we go back and we just take a look at Adam and Eve, the first two people that sinned, the problem, the first problem that they had after they sinned was shame because they were hiding. We know that because they were hiding from God. Then we need to pay attention to how the enemy wants to bring shame in our life to rob us from the freedom and joy that comes in relationship with Christ. Hear me. Genesis chapter 3 is not just a story of something that went wrong in the past but it has been preserved through us through the centuries as a reminder of how the enemy wants to rob us of our faith. My favorite verse in all of the scripture is John 10.10. John 10.10 reminds us of this. Adrian, my iPad is not working. So let me try to reset it and then we'll We'll get back going here. My favorite verse, though, in all of the scripture is John 10, 10. And it's simply a reminder that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. These are Jesus' words. And Jesus is giving us a reminder of what the enemy always does. Three things. 
He steals, he kills, and destroys. Listen, this is exactly what shame does in our lives. It steals our relationship with Christ. It kills us spiritually and destroys the freedom or joy that God desires for us to live and walk in. But Jesus did not only tell us the works of the enemy at the beginning of John 10.10, he also told us what he came to destroy the stealing, the killing, and the uh, destroying that the enemy does. Jesus said, I came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly, or have it to the full. And so Jesus is telling us, listen, you don't have to be immobilized or paralyzed by shame. You can overcome that. Now hear me. We do sin. As long as we are in this mortal body, Paul tells us that we are never going to reach perfection. It is not possible on this side of heaven. And as long as we are in this mortal body, there will be acts of sin that we commit or there will be acts of sin that we don't do that God has asked us to do. And so we have to uh, identify those things and face them and then ask forgiveness and overcome those things. It does not stop with forgiveness we have to then overcome those things. So we fall and pray, or we fall prey to the enemy when we think, okay, I've sinned, I ask forgiveness, we're done with that. No, because the enemy always wants to turn and use that against you. If the enemy can't stop you with your sin, then he will want to stop you with the shame of your sin. And so he will always go in the past and try to bring that into your future. But the beauty of forgiveness is that it is completely forgotten forever by God. And that which is in our past cannot be brought into our future if we are living under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what we discover Adam and Eve wrestling with in Genesis chapter 3 is this shame that the enemy is using to cause them to actually hide from God. Imagine this. God creates you out of nothing. You're living in relationship with God in Genesis chapter 2. He's walking with you. He's talking with you. You're spending time with God. And then because of your sin, you decide to hide from this creator. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? it? It it blows my mind to think of what Adam and Eve and what Adam and Eve were doing here. And God is calling out for them. Adam and Eve, where where are you? He knew where they were at. But he was, God was making a point here that Adam and Eve were lost and hiding in their shame. And God was calling them out of their shame. And so I think, man, it's crazy what Adam and Eve were doing. But you know what? We do the exact same thing. We get stuck and immobilized in the shame from the past. And we keep going back to God and saying, God, I need you to deal with this. I need... And God is saying... I don't know what you're talking about because I forgave you of that. So what we have to do is turn it around on the enemy and use that against the enemy to defeat him. Because that sin that you committed, whenever you ask forgiveness and you have repented and turned and gone the other way from that, it can't be used against you by God. 
And so we've got to use it as a weapon back against the enemy. The enemy wants to use it as a weapon to us, so let's turn it back to the enemy and use it as a weapon so that we then say to the enemy, enemy, you meant for this to destroy me, but it did not destroy me. I have overcome that through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, and in walking through the authority and power of the Holy Spirit, I now turn it back to you and use that to immobilize what you then want to do to me. We cannot get stuck in shame because of the past. We overcome that and say, this is who the, this is who the enemy wanted me to be, but because of the blood of Jesus, that's not who I am any longer. And I now use that back against the enemy to say, you wanted to do this, but you couldn't. And so I use it to destroy and stop you. Shame is real. Shame is something that the enemy wants to cripple our faith. And unfortunately, we're born into a world that tells us that we are shameful and always points out our sin. That happens day after day after day after day after day. The world says, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. Pointing out this and pointing out this and pointing out this. And what we allow to happen to us is we allow the sin of the past because of shame to define who we are right now. But you are not your past. You are who God says you are. And you cannot allow the past to identify with who God has created you to be. You have to overcome the past. Do you know what shame does to you? It freezes you in a time of judgment. And it creates a toxic environment. Whenever something comes into your body and it's toxic, do you know what the body does? It goes into a type of shock and it says, listen, there is a problem and that which is toxic inside of me, I've got to go into overdrive to get it out of my body. And so all of your body's systems start to work against this toxicity that's in your body because it knows that if the body does not work against that which is toxic, that which is toxic will kill the body. That's true spiritually as well. And shame is toxic. And if you don't let Jesus deal with the shame in your life, it will immobilize, cripple, or kill your body. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Shame comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we have to overcome the judgment and the toxicity in all of our lives. Because if we don't, what happens is that shame just keeps going, pointing its nasty finger at us, shame, shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. And then you will never reach the potential that God has for you because you are being immobilized by your shame. If what Jesus said in John 10, 10 is true, and I believe Jesus' words are true, then in him coming to give us life to the full or life abundant, it can only be achieved whenever we have killed the toxicness of shame that the enemy wants to bring into our lives. We're living in a world of shame. 
Psychiatrist James Gilligan spent several years disguised in prison. This is, this is what he concluded from his years being disguised as a prisoner. He said, all of the most violent prisoners are also imprisoned in shame. Did you, did you catch what he said? After years of spending time disguised as a prisoner, trying to figure out what was happening mentally, emotionally, and physically, he says that all, almost all of the violent prisoners are also imprisoned in shame. Here was his conclusion. The emotion of shame is the primary or root cause of the majority of all of violence. He called it a specific shame. It's the violent prisoners were ashamed of being ashamed because when you're ashamed, it's unmanly. So his conclusion was shame causes trouble whenever it goes unacknowledged in our lives. Listen, that's not only true in the physical. That is true in the spiritual as well. Shame causes trouble when it goes unacknowledged. Because shame pushes us, pushes us, and pushes us away from Jesus Christ. Because you can't stand in the presence of the Almighty and be ashamed. You either stand in the presence of the Almighty and you are condemned, or you stand in the presence of the Almighty and you are set free. So we have to not only deal with the sin and transgression of our life, but we have to deal with the shame that comes because of the sin and the transgression in our life. And we have to remember that even though we ask forgiveness, and even though we begin a journey of relationship with Jesus Christ, the enemy's next step is by using shame. And you know, this, is, this is true in our, in our songs as well, in our culture. It's never mentioned, though, by just the word shame, except for in a few places. But we see it in these songs. In 1996, a song that went to the top of the charts was recorded by a couple of people. The name of the song was, was Nobody Knows. One of the lyrics says, I pretend I'm glad you went away. These four walls are closing in on me every day. And I'm dying inside. But nobody knows it but me. In 2004, there was a song that went to the top of the charts that said, Tonight I want to cry. The lyric says, I thought that being strong meant never losing your self-control. But I'm just drunk enough to let go of my pain. Forget my pride. I am falling like the rain. The Beatles in 1968, it's not just modern, all the way back to 1968 had a song that says, You've got to hide your love away. And they sang, Here I stand, head in my hand. Turn my face to the wall. If she's gone, I can't go on. I'm feeling two feet small. Everywhere people stare each and every day, I can see them laugh at me and I hear what they say. Johnny Cash sang, I hung my head. A song called The Cats in the Cradle. You could make me happy. Take the long way home. My mistake. Shame, shame, shame. I'm a loser. Shame and scandal. Nobody's fault but my own. Jealous guy. We could go on and on and on. And how shame is being presented to us and being written about by some people that are captured by their shame. But perhaps the most famous was from Ellis Costello when he wrote Hidden Shame. 
He said, you always said that that should be my middle name. But you don't know the half of it. You don't know how that fits. You don't know my hidden shame. Shame is the enemy's strongest weapon. And it is the disguise of the enemy to cripple us and immobilize us in our relationship with Christ. If he can't defeat you with sin, then he will do everything he can to defeat you with the shame because of that forgiven sin. The enemy will always attempt to immobilize you. Now you think that that's just a bunch of songs, but shame has been around for all of time, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. There was a woman whose life was a wreck. She had five failed marriages, and she stopped with all the formalities in her life. So she came to a well. The sun was blazing down on her at the well. She came when she knew that nobody was going to be at the well because she was living a life of shame. She went to draw the water alone to hide from all the comments, to hide from all of the glares, to hide from all of the condemning looks, and to make sure that nobody nobody saw her and brought more shame into her life. Then there's another lady that's suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Of no fault of her own, just because of a medical condition. All of that time, though, Everywhere she went, it was announced that she was unclean. She was uncomfortable, and she was untouchable because of this condition that she had. She saw Jesus begin to heal other people, and she longed to receive the touch of the one that she knew could heal her. And she went through the crowd. She was able to come face to face However, she didn't do it in being announced. She didn't do it so that anyone could see her. She did it in quietness and anonymity just to attempt to touch the hem of his garment because she was living in shame because of a condition in her life. There was another man in the scripture. It was a very, very powerful man that abused his power, that abused his power to sleep with somebody else. And then this powerful man, because of the shame of this, and because the woman actually became pregnant, then went on to kill the woman's husband, and then not only did that, but also to hide it. Because of the shame of the first sin, King David actually did a cover-up that turned murderous. But just like the woman at the well, and just like the woman with the issue of blood, and just like King David, our shame causes us to go to places to hide that we would not even think about because the enemy is attacking us and we're falling prey to the attack of the enemy instead of overcoming through the power of the blood of Jesus. Listen, Whitechapel Church. The blood of Jesus today will deliver you from the shame of your past. And no one or nothing can overcome that shame. It is only the power of the blood of Jesus. The enemy will always use shame if the sin doesn't win. You think, well, that that doesn't affect me. 
I, I'm over my past. I've moved on past. I, I'm not in there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not over there any, anymore. But we find ourselves hiding in our homes. We find ourselves hiding in our work. We find ourselves trying to overcompensate in certain areas because of things that happened in the past. We get caught up in the moment and we try to move on and we try to, but instead we get pushed deeper and deeper and deeper to try to overcome the shame on our own. And we think if I do this, then I'll be able to defeat the shame. And then when that doesn't happen, we think, well, if I was giving 70 there, then I need to give 80 here and I need to give 90 and I need to give 100 and then we're at 100. And we just go on and on and on thinking that we can dig ourselves out of the pit of shame. You will never be able to dig yourself out of the pit of shame. The only one that can get you out of the pit of the shame is what Jesus did on the cross. He will always come into the pit and lift us up out of the pit and deliver us from the shame that the enemy brings into our life. We cannot hide in shame. We cannot disguise the shame. We must deal with the shame. Psalm chapter 32. David's got a shame problem in his life. David has has David has committed sin. The shame caused him to commit sin, that caused him to commit sin, and then there was a great cover-up and David was bound by his sin. There are a few psalms right here that David is writing about his past issues with sin and with shame. The 32nd Psalm is one of those such Psalms. David was hiding, but he discovers that he's hiding in all of the wrong places. Psalm 32, verse 1. David writes, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. And listen in verse 3 and 4. This is, this is where David gives us a little bit of insight of what was happening in his past. Verse 3, David says, While I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Here David is hiding. And David believes that he needs to have a covering because of what happened in his past. But here this covering was a shame covering instead of a covering in relationship with God. And David is giving us the insight and he's telling us, I I kept silent and I was keeping silent. I was hiding what I had done and my bones were wasting away. I was groaning all day and all night long. Day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Listen, I believe that we can all identify with this. We all know what it's like when we're keeping silent. We're hiding and we think, if I don't say anything, If I just come into church and I just sit here and I stay quiet, nobody's going to know anything. 
Or if I just go about my business, if I just move about my day, if I just go into work and I sit there and I do my job and I get up and I go home, I can keep silent, nobody's going to bother me, everybody's going to leave me alone, and nobody's going to know about my past. Listen, no one may know about your past. No one may know about the sins that have been forgiven in your past. No one knew. The the, the public did not know what was going on in David's life. And David is telling us here, I was keeping silent. The word had not gotten out what what had been done. No one knew, and I was getting away with it. However, 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 David says, even though it was not being held against me, and even though I had gotten away with it, and even though it was if I was free and clear and able to move forward, when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, when it's just me and God, David says, my bones were if, as if they were wasting away. My strength was sapped Day and night, it was as if your hand was heavy on me. See, David was hiding. He was hiding from his sin. And then he was being immobilized as the mightiest person in the land, as the king. He was being immobilized because of his shame. This is the work of the enemy that he does in our life today just like he was doing in David's life a few thousand years ago. David's pattern was he was drinking in shame and then he was spewing it out. He would drink in and live in his shame and then he would spew it out. He committed a sin, he was hiding in that shame and then he spewed it out and that led him to more sin. Listen, whatever you are drinking in, you're always going to spew out You cannot drink in shame and then all of a sudden expect to walk around in the freedom that comes in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you drink in shame, all that you're going to spew out is shame in and of itself. But instead, when you turn that back around as a weapon against the enemy, you drink in the grace of God and then you spew out the grace of God. And you remind the enemy, yeah, that used to be who I was, but that's not who I am right now. And you cannot drag me back into my past and make me think that that's who I am. Whenever I drink in the grace of God, I spew out the grace of God. And that defeats the shame that the enemy wants to bring into our life from our past. We must be shame-free followers of Jesus Christ. We cannot live as David said that he was living in the 32nd Psalm, verses 3 and 4. Because when we don't deal with our shame, we spew shame on everybody else. And we think, oh yeah, you say that about me, well let me say this about you. I did this, oh yeah, but you then did this. And the shame then does not stop with us, but it gets on everybody else. Because then we start playing this comparison game. But at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Because there is no more shame. There is no more condemnation. But instead, we're living under the grace, the blood of Jesus Christ. And we stop spewing shame on everybody else. 
The purpose of Jesus to come on the face of the earth, and God came to wrap himself in the flesh, was to fix this broken relationship that we identify that started in Genesis chapter 3. Well, what was that broken relationship? We already saw when we take a look at that. Adam and Eve had no shame in Genesis chapter 2. They were living just, just perfectly fine in relationship with God. No shame, the end of Genesis chapter 2. Sin comes, they commit sin, and then they're lost in their shame. Jesus came to address all of that. Not only to address it, but to destroy the works of the enemy. He defeated sin... He defeated the consequence of sin, which was death, and then he destroyed the continued effects of sin, which was shame. So I debated on whether to share this with you or not, and I've, I've decided, you may think it's, it's too much, but I, I don't think that it is too much, because I'm not going to share any names about this. This past week, Mr. Piliad and I were talking, Mr. Piliad is our, our secondary principal, and we were talking to a couple of students couple of students that were having some, some problems, not knowing exactly how they should act. So they're having this conversation with these students, and we are addressing some things and talking to the kids, and um, I'm learning from Mr. Piliad, what we need to do is just let the kids talk. Because if the kids talk, they're going to tell you what needs to be addressed. I want to go in and tell the kids, listen, no, Mr. Piliad's, let them talk. They're going to tell us everything that we need to know. So I'm listening to these kids, and they're telling us, you know, what's going on. And as I listen to these kids, they're saying, well, this is the problem, and this is the problem, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and, you know, these teachers are doing this, and this, and, and it's just all of this just going on and on and on and on. We have a good conversation with the kids, talk to the kids, pray with the kids, send them back to class, and we think, okay, we've, we've done what we need to do. We hope that that works. So I spent some of Friday praying about this, and Friday night I sat down with the Lord and, and I began to journal through some of this, and I said, God, there is an issue here, and I don't know how to address this issue. And so I need you to help me have the right words that we can share with these kids that the issue that needs to be addressed in their life. And God said, there's shame in some of these kids' lives. Their shame. They have not lived up to what that standard was. And so instead of saying, I'm going to do everything I can to get back to that, what they're going to do is to continue to act out and drown in their shame. And what we have to do is we have to be a body of believers, a church, that we do that in our own lives. Whenever we act out in the world, that is a direct result of sin and shame in our lives. And we cannot allow this acting out to block us in relationship with Jesus Christ. So imagine a church. Imagine a church. Imagine a body of believers that says, listen, we are not going to let shame to go unaddressed in our relationship with Christ. We, we are good at addressing sin. But sometimes we think, okay, the work is done. No, there's a next step. And that is addressing and overcoming shame. So imagine what it would look like as a church 
to say, hey, we're not going to drown in our shame. And then imagine what it's like for a school to say, hey, there are some issues, but we're not going to only address the sin issue. We're not going to let you students drown in your shame. We are going to be the, we are going to be the defenders of your faith. We are going to be those blockers in football that go before you, and we're going to take down the shame before it starts to drown and attack you. Imagine what the world would look Imagine what the church would look like if we started operating like that. Imagine if we started calling people up and saying, don't drown down here in the shame, but we're calling you up to walk in the fullness, the abundant life that God has for you. We're not going to let you drown in the murk and the mire. We're not going to let you stay down here, but we're going to call you to reach the full potential that God has for you. Listen, this goes right along. God showed me this goes right along with the dreams that he actually has for us. Uh, um, Adrian, would you put on the dreams, please? It, it didn't work for some reason. So imagine the dreams that God has given to us as a congregation. The dreams, there are six specific dreams here, and the seventh that I haven't completely, it's the second slide, I believe. Um, I haven't completely fleshed this, this completely out yet, but a part of what these dreams that God has given to us, uh, all of these dreams are breaking the chains of bondage, number three here, breaking the chains of bondage and deliverance. Well, we can't let people drown in their shame and fulfill the dreams that God has given to us. If we're going to let people drown in their shame, listen, shame, shame is a chain. And we've got to break the chain of shame and help people overcome that right here in this room, in all of our lives, and in our school as well. Because the enemy works in sin, and then the enemy works in shame. And he always works to destroy us by causing us to hide in the wrong places and make excuses, and that is a direct result of shame. So, the question for us is how is it that we break the chain of shame? How is it that we overcome what the enemy is doing in our lives and we rise up from the murk and the mire and we rise to that full potential that God has for us? Take a look at verse 5 of Psalm chapter 32. I want to read 5, 6, and 7. Verse 5, listen to what David said. And remember, in verse 3 and 4, David said, While I was keeping silent, my bones were wasting away. It was like a heavy hand. Your heavy hand was just pressing me, and my strength was sapped like the heat of the summer. And then we get to verse 5, and David is telling us how he overcame sin and how he overcame shame in his life. Verse 5, and I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not, overcome, or I did not cover up my iniquity. I, did, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. David said, I'm calling out my sin. Now, it took some confrontation in David's life. It took somebody, the prophet, to show up and Nathan to say, hey, this is going on in your life. And David eventually got right. And David eventually confessed his sin. And listen to me. If you want to reach your full potential in Jesus Christ, it starts by living the 32nd Psalm, verse 5, and confessing your sin. 
and saying, God, I have something that I have to confess to you. I am acknowledging my sin, and I am acknowledging my shame. You've got to voice it. You've got to say to God, God, I am calling this out in my life. Don't just say, God, you know my sin. Now please forgive me of my sin. Because that's going to be a weapon of the enemy to drag you back into your shame. You've got to confess it. You've got to get it out. You've got to say to God, this is what I was doing. This is who I used to be. I am confessing it. I am saying it. I am calling it out by name. I am acknowledging it. And I am asking forgiveness for that which I have done. If you want to reach your full potential in Christ, if you want to be all that you can be in Jesus Christ, in relationship with Jesus Christ, then you've got to call your sin out by name. Call that shame out by name. Get it out in the open. Because when David was hiding, he was immobilized by the sin and the shame. But whenever it came out in the open, and whenever he confessed it, and whenever God forgave him of it, that's when David could overcome that which the enemy was using against him. And then we can see David eventually get to where he's turning around and using it back against the enemy. He wasn't bound by that chain of sin and shame any longer. He acknowledged his sin. And then look at the last part of verse 5 here. I'll read all of verse 5. And this is the next step that David did. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. Last part of verse 5. Listen. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you see what God is doing here in David's life? It's the same thing that he wants to do in all of our lives. God does not want us to be bound by the chains of sin and shame. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to get past sin and shame and reach the potential that he actually was dreaming for you whenever he created you. You have to acknowledge your sin and shame and you have to ask forgiveness and surrender to Jesus. If you want to overcome your sin, if you want to overcome your shame, if you want to get past your bones feeling like they're wasting away all day long, if you want to get over, the, get over um, your past zapping the strength out of you as if it were the heat in the summer, then you've got to acknowledge your sin and shame and you have to ask forgiveness for that. But the best part... The best part of all of this is not the work that we do, but in the last part of verse 5, it's the work that God does in us. David said, you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave the sin and you forgave the shame. I think that there are some of us that have been immobilized by the shame. I think that we have dealt with sin. I think that there are some of us that have, that have dealt with sin. I think that there are some of us that have thought, okay, the battle's won now because I'm, I'm okay. I've dealt with the sin. But today's a day for you to deal with the shame of that sin. If you've only dealt with the sin, you've only done half the work. 
And there's more work for you to do. And you've got to move past that sin and move past the shame, move past the guilt of that sin to be completely free, to be the new person that God wants you to be. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, the writer says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, listen, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here that God did? God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Do you see the work that he did? He endured the cross, which was sin, and he scorned its shame as a result of sin. And then to show victory, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you growing weary? Are you beginning to lose heart? Are you just seeming like David was in verse 3 and verse 4, that your strength, your energy is just completely zapped like you're working in the heat of the day? Listen, there is a way to overcome that. There is a way to walk past the sin and to walk past the shame of your past and to walk in victory of Jesus Christ. And that is to make sure that you are standing under the authority of God and not being immobilized or crippled by the shame and the sin of the past. The way that you do that is in relationship with Jesus. You see, it took the presence of Jesus physically physically on this earth to endure the cross and to scorn its shame and then to go and sit down at the right hand of the Father. And so if it was the presence of Jesus that came, the presence of God in Jesus that came on the cross, that came to stand on the cross and to defeat sin and to defeat the consequence of sin, which was death, and then to overcome the shame, rebuking that shame. It was the presence of Jesus in that, then what you have to have is the presence of Jesus in 2021 in your life. It was the presence of Jesus that defeated sin. It was the presence of Jesus that defeated death. It was the presence of Jesus that defeated shame. And if you want to defeat those things in your life, then you have to bring the presence of Jesus into your presence. So how do we experience the presence of Jesus? Sure, we'll, we'll confess our sin. Absolutely, we're going to acknowledge it. And absolutely, we're going to rebuke sin and we're going to rebuke shame. We're going to break it under the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to crush it. We're going to walk away from that. But then how do you experience the presence of Jesus? It's the presence of Jesus that will help you. Listen, you've got to find some time that you can spend with Jesus. Unhurried, uninterrupted time. Just you and God. Because you will never overcome shame if you're not spending time in his presence. And listen, it starts when you take his word and you sit down intentionally 
inviting him into the moment, and just simply beginning a conversation with him. You cannot ask God's forgiveness of your sin and then journey along life's way and leave Jesus in your past. He has to come into your presence. Into your present. It's his presence that will destroy the shame. So today, I want to invite you to experience his presence. So maybe when we stand and sing in just a moment, you say, God, I've got to deal with the shame of my past. Maybe it's you just coming and kneeling on one of these authors, and it's just you and God for a few moments, and you're just fixing your mind, fixing your heart, fixing everything on him so that it's not, it's not anybody else but you experiencing him. Maybe as we go a little later on, maybe it's you finding some time today to just sit with him and to, to get into his word and just simply begin a conversation with him. You say, well, that's awkward. I never hear anything. It's because you haven't held on long enough. If you call somebody on the telephone and they don't talk, just sit tight. If it's somebody who wants to be with you, just sit tight. They'll talk. It's the same with God. You say, man, I, I was with God. I tried to talk to God, and I just didn't get anything from God. Just hang on. Just hang on. Maybe God's just wanting to know if you're for real or not. And if you're there for just a minute, and you're like, ah, I got nothing, and then you're busy along your way, maybe next time stay for two minutes. Maybe next time stay for three minutes or four. Just stay. Hang in there. Just hang in there. Because if you'll do your work, I promise you, I promise you, you'll be able to experience the presence of God that always defeats sin and always destroys shame. So where are you in your walk with God? Where are you in dealing with sin and dealing with shame? This morning, there is an opportunity for you to overcome the past, to make sure that you break the darkness of sin and shame, and you walk in the freedom of experiencing the presence of Jesus. In verse 7, David says this, and you can see the beauty, just the amazing beauty of what God has done in David's life when we get to verse 7. Writing to God, he says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Where are you hiding? Are you hiding in shame? Are you hiding in the presence of Jesus? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.